Hello and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast and truly daily Marlins podcast right now with me, Peter Pratt, British host. Do not forget to follow me on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Do not forget that underscore. Oh, guys, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Locked On Marlins is rolling with a daily pod now, so do not forget to hit the subscribe button either because it's coming thick and fast, much like the action. And there are tons of talking points to get into and I have got my man from across the pond as well, Sean Barrett with me. Sean, how are we doing? I'm doing well, Pete. No more videos through the chain link fences. We've got games now. Two games, two wins. These games matter, right? This this matters to me. That's all that's all that matters. Grapefruit champs or whatever it is, is uh defended champs. I think they might have won it last year, if I recall, but I don't know. The Kings of Spring, I did say that a few days back. Marlins seem to play well in spring. They always play well in these blue jerseys. Why they don't use them in the regular season, I do not know. But anyway, Sean, we have got absolutely tons and tons to get into today, recapping what was a very, very busy of weekend baseball. And like you said, no chain link clips. We have real clips. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to get into, but not just on the field, off the field too. There was a lot of activity. Um, just to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online where the game starts. Sean, and for us, there's only one natural spot to start. Uh, we have to talk about the Marlins paid someone. They made something happen. The market was going quickly, actually. This kind of like corner outfield market was was really accelerating. Obviously, the Phillies pulled the, pulled the trigger on Nick Castellanos. Five years, 100 million. Actually, that was a, a lower dollar amount than I expected for, for Nick Castellanos, actually. Um, feels like a nice move for them. Um, but... He went, Jock Peterson's gone, Rosario went, like all of a sudden the, out, the the outfield pop was disappearing and the Marlins have pulled the trigger on Soler, obviously ended the year with the Braves, World Series MVP, just your initial take on that signing, a three-year deal and this is the, uh, the topical bit, three-year deal but with two opt-outs, that seems to be the norm now for these guys, so just immediate take on, on Soler as a Marlin. I mean, I like it, I mean... I've heard a little bit of buzz about how you know it's it's not that table piece that you really wanted over the the sea off season. But in my mind, if it was a case of no move or a move for Solar, I'm happy with it. As you said, he brings out some. Well, can we call him an outfielder? Brings some outfield pop. He probably will see more time DH, or at least that would be the more recognizable way of playing him. Obviously, we've already got a couple of DHs, so there's a little bit of a log jam. Is there another move in the workings? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But ultimately, it is an additional bat. And whenever you can bring in a guy with that kind of pop, you know, on what is a low-risk deal, basically, you've, yeah. you've got to do it. it. Does that mean that the Marlins are done and they don't go for one of those stud outfielders who wanted in a trade? Maybe not now, maybe later in the year. Who knows? What happened was that the team needed to make a move, and that's what they've done. I'm with you on it. I completely agree with that assessment. I'm not convinced they're done. I've still, <clears throat> we know the center fielder stuff has to come via trade because there's no free agent options. But nevertheless, they've added in another power bat, and I think it was clear it was necessary. And I like, I like the the dollar amounts. Um, I like the the term. It's a low risk deal, really, for the Marlins. It's a nice, you know, contract maybe for Soler. The opt-outs are there. It actually accelerates. So 12 million this year, 15 uh, in year two. And so, you know, unless he has a stonking year this year, 
and clearly, if he does and he outgrows the contract, then great. The Marlins have, have, have got good value. They can clearly renegotiate if they want to. But I I just like it. I like, I like that kind of deal because that's the other thing that's been talked about too. And I think we should be mindful that we, we do have this wave of outfielders brewing at the kind of AAA, AA level. You know, clearly... We've had some eyeballs on on JJ Blade playing this weekend. Um, obviously, uh, Peyton Burdick's also to get in time. There's more as well. So it's like they don't want to just completely block out all of these guys that they're actually invested in. So I, I kind of like the way they've gone about it. Um, and the, the the power is real. The question though, that really the the ripple effect on this one though is what's how is it gonna how's the lineup gonna be impacted? Because I think we'd all kind of like inked in Coop into the DH spot, rotating around with Aggie. Aggie probably plays first base more often than not. Coop DH in, they cycle a bit. All of a sudden now you add in Soler. Like you said, defensively, it is not good. Um, it's not good with Coop out there either. And I, I'm i really intrigued to see if, if, it, if the roster stays as is, and there's no knock-on move, which is po- it's possible there will be. But if they're, if this is the roster, the, the hitting side anyway... How would you construct it now with those three guys in particular? Does one of them just become a bench bat and, you know, depth? Or I don't know. How are you going to fit these guys in? I mean, I think there is enough at-bats out there. You know, they play every day. These guys are going to want days off. Realistically, could we get all three of them 450 bats this year? I think so, yeah. I think that's a situation that that could be achieved. You know, it's difficult because ideally you want Aggie at first or DH. You want Cooper just DH some first base. Mm. And again, with Soler, you want DH and some outfield. Anytime he's in the outfield, he is bringing you less value because of how, how negative he is with the defense. Can he play out there? Of course he can. He, he's started 400 games in the outfield in his career. They're not great value. So, you know, the bat needs to, to play up in those situations. But I think realistically, Giving Coop some time at first and giving Soler some time in outfield, you can get all three of them, 450, 500 at-bats. And I think, you know, if <laughs> having too many bats is not a problem that we're used to, and it's not a problem that I'm going to complain about. Not at all. Let's not forget, Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar ended the year on the IL. And so this is this is the point. This It isn't a one-to-nine game. Uh, you need... You need some depth there. It was the problem last year. How many times did we talk about that? That's the lack of depth up and down, um, you know, middle infield in particular. The outfield wasn't too bad, but the infield depth was was really tested for sure. And, you know, Coop and, and Aggie both on the IL ending the year. And so, okay, if everyone is healthy to start the year, we know at some point everyone's probably going to have some time missing. And so you're right. They're probably even if they just, you know, rotate guys in and out, clearly... Um, you know, there's a lot of righties too. That's the only other thing that's a little bit uh, frustrating in some ways where you've got, uh, obviously, Soler, Coop, and Aggie. You know, it doesn't kind of create the platoon piece. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, one thing is Coop, and I, I, I know a lot about Coop because I, I care so much <laughs> about him. Coop hits lefties well. Yeah, so he, does. he is he is almost like having a left-handed bat on, in the lineup anyway. Um, so I don't mean that's too big of an issue. But yeah, you are right. You do want a balanced team um, yeah. Yeah, in yeah. an ideal world. It's funny because I kind of bashed the Phillies on, on Twitter a little bit after they, they pulled the trigger on Castellanos, having already uh, signed Schwarber, and then you know they've already got, you know, they're talking about Alec Bohm can't, he's, he's got no glove, 
JT Riamuto, he's getting older too. Riamuto, you know, he needs to transition there. Bryce, not sure what he's doing. Um, you know, all these things that I was kind of, you know, thinking that they they really have taken universal DH to mean they want to just play a DH entirely. And then, of course, the Marlins go away and, and pull a trigger on, you know, what is effectively, or should be a DH, um, to be honest. I mean, Solari, he's, he's not great. Just on, is Marlins, is Marlins Park, is Lone Depot going to be, is that is that going to hurt him more or is it going to help him more? It's not going to hurt him. I did take a quick look at his expected home runs in Lone Depot Park, and he's got no issues. When he no. hits a ball, he hits a ball. He does. It looks. It does look Stanton-like. Like the when when balls leave his bat, it looks different to a lot of guys, you know, and kind of Stanton styley. And that was our concern with Castellanos: was would his bat play at Lone Depot Park? And realistically, yeah. probably wouldn't have done. With Soler, what they've got is a guy who's going to hit somewhere between 220, 260, Let's settle it in the middle of, of two forty. It's going to hit thirty bombs. You know that is what we hoped and what we got from Duval. Yeah. So he's a Duval meant- type bat, but just without the defense. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's a really good comp. And the funny thing is, is uh, as soon as the the trade hurt the the signings made you get a ton of Braves Twitter too um, various Braves Twitter tagging me into things as well and Riley's Riggs of course good friend of the show uh, tagging me in and you then get people you know I think the Braves wanted him back to be honest and he's obviously now a Marlin and clearly then it goes well we're just going to get it back in July anyway you know Soler will, will, will be back at the deadline when the Marlins are out of it and, and actually uh, that isn't totally unrealistic like because of the way this contract structured it's possible that if things go sideways or Bladé emerges or whatever, that, that actually this becomes, you know, a, a half a season for Soler. It, it wouldn't shock me if we kind of fast forward to the end of July. But whether it's to the Braves is another thing. But we'll wait and see. I, I think overall summary, we've got, a, we've got another power bat that we've added. that We needed, we needed a, a little bit more thump, I think, just there. How we, they mix and match it. You know, is is up for debate. It really is, but there's just going to be some cycling around of the guys. I think right now, <clears throat> if if you, if this was the roster, then who do you think is going to start in centre field? Then, if if it was you know opening day tomorrow, who would actually line up there right now? In your opinion, who would start opening day? I would put Avi there. Would he get the most starts in centre field for me? Maybe not. Maybe you know you're cycling through him and and De La Cruz, mm. but I think. For the for opening day, the, the team are going to want to get the bats in the lineup. You know, the, the get, get those new acquisitions in there, get him in centre field. You know, ultimately, the, the team can now construct a really big power hitting team that are a bit defensively deficient. Yeah. But they can also cycle things around and have good defence as well. But, you know, so I think the team, you know, horses for courses, the team could be constructed around ballparks, oppositions. Ultimately, we've got a team that's very flexible. And yeah. as we've said before with depth, that's that's invaluable. There were multiple games, double-digit games, that the Marlins lost last year because the depth was so, well, shallow. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of an issue for the team this year. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, well, we're going to talk about uh, the games that we've seen in spring so far. You know, the Marlins at the 2-0. So looking forward to digging into that and the key takeaways that we've had. Some There's been some really uh, encouraging starts for sure. Before we get there, first US ad with a British twist of the day. And it's our guys over at Bet Online. It's that time of the year as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. 
From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. And it remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting, your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. And bet online where the game starts. Sean, the game started. The game started Friday. Uh, the Marlins uh, facing the Nats. Sandy on the mound. And Sandy was just electric, it looks like. Nine up, nine down. Just, you know, stunning performance from him. 1K, only 1K. But it was against Juan Soto. Some nice clips knocking around on Twitter of that as well. But just how important it is for Sandy to kind of just... Well, A, get through these healthy, and B, just start to kind of ease in and just be ready to rock and roll. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty important. I mean, the biggest number that I will take away from that start is the three innings. Three clean innings, three healthy innings. Day one, spring training game one, in a shortened spring training uh, season, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Three innings in your first start is, is great. You know, let's stretch it to four next time, maybe five, see how it goes. You know, they're, they're going to do this the right way. For me, spring training, all I care about is, for starting pitchers anyway, is get your innings, get your velocity where you need it to be, and, you know, get your outs. You know, they, they, it ultimately, all we care about is having Sandy on opening day, ready to go six, seven, and that was the perfect start for him. It absolutely was. I, I was delighted to see that. Like you said, the three innings, three innings, no hits, no walks, 1K. Like, it's just it's just a perfect pretty much start for Sandy there. So as long as the health's good, you know, he looks... I, I think the Nats lineup was pretty decent. You know, you had in, you know, Josh Bell was in there, Soto, obviously. Um, Kbert Ruiz is playing too. Lane Thomas was in. Like, it was a Robles in center field. Listen, it was a decent Nats lineup and, and Sandy handled them all. Um, it's great, great to see. Uh, on the hitting side, uh, Jazz Chisholm got the party started, buddy. It's the first home run of spring in 2022. He also hit the the first home run of spring in 21. So if you recall, you know it was the big, uh, you know the big kind of news. This battle, position battle. Isan Diaz, Jazz Chisholm. It should be Isan's job. And then Jazz kind of came out and like made a statement early. Listen, Jazz in the lineup, leading off, three run bomb. I think for Jazz. I've got to be honest, uh, I'll get your take on where you think Jazz is at, but I've got to be honest, I get the sense that he's feeling ultra relaxed about the year ahead. Like everything I'm seeing, he looks like he is just loving life, just loving it. And it looks like he's playing loose. Like I got, I just got a feeling that Jazz is feeling good. He's feeling himself. And I think when he's in that frame of mind, I think good things happen. Uh, clearly at times last year, A, he was banged up. And secondly, he got a little bit frustrated too. There was like a period where he was getting very frustrated with some calls, um, the umpire and etc. But Jazz Chisholm straight off the board, three run bomb. Love to see it. Um, you know what? Jazz has nothing to prove this spring. Clearly though, right? He's kind of locked in. But nevertheless, it's a big year for Jazz in general because the sophomore slump. If you know he did play in twenty twenty, so theoretically it's his third, his third season. But the sophomore slump is real. Um, and so how concerned are you on, on that front that the Jazz maybe takes a little bit of a step back in 22? Not overly. I mean, like you said, he's playing loose. And last year with, with the East Andias sort of battle, you know, that I went down I went down on the East Andias uh, oh, ship. Oh, boy. I, I was, 
you know, I was pretty wrong on that one. Uh, but you know, once once he'd separated himself in spring, and and Isen was just getting worse and worse, he started to you know feel a bit more comfortable, and yeah, he he started to separate himself, and obviously he had a great season. So to come in with a home run, to come in being loose, knowing that you know that's his job, I think he I think he knows he belongs, and I think that's that's such a valuable thing to be able to walk into a clubhouse and just say this is where I should be, let me go and do my job. And I think, yeah, I mean, obviously the sophomore sump is that situation where pitchers and opposition teams don't have much of a, a playbook on a guy and they make adjustments. And then the player is obliged to make the adjustment back. Mm. I think Chisholm, from what I know of him, from hearing what he says and the way he works, he will, he will work around that, you know, he the phone calls to his grandma i'm sure will be invaluable mm. like he did last year it is a situation where he knows what he needs to do to be a major league player and i think he'll do that yeah for sure i th- th- there's hope baked into this but uh and optimism that's what you get with with a lot of my mindset but i i can see an absolutely ginormous season from jazz chisholm this year i truly can like i i I remember a period last year where the home runs dried up for him at one point, but they dried up specifically because he was working on the contact piece. I, like the strikeout was a little bit too high. The swing and miss was too high early. Bombs were there. And then he, he just almost mid-season, there was like a, a development period where you could see like things were adjusted. He, was, he went contact first, was just getting on base. And, you know, I, I think it's just been, it was a good learning curve for him in 21. Um, you know, so I think he's really primed for a massive year. And particularly if this Marlins lineup is healthy and is pumped like it is now, that's really intriguing to see what kind of ja- where, where Jazz Chisholm hits. Is he still going to be leading off? I, I guess he, it's still, you know, we dig into the numbers and whatever, but I don't know. His profiles did still fit nicely as a leadoff hitter, I think, because of the speed. Um, and clearly, if you've got some of the other guys now added to the lineup who aren't that quick, then you know, I think it still is nice to have him there. And I know the way Donnie set up the lineup in 2020 when the DH was there, he likes speed top and bottom of the order. So it wouldn't shock me to see Miggy down at nine, um, you know, Jazz at, at the top of the order or whoever's, you know, in that kind of mix and match where you've got some speed there that can kind of double up. Um, and then you've got your big thumpers coming in. So really intrigued. I could see a massive, massive year for Jazz. I'm absolutely, I'm really high on him. It's ridiculous. Someone that I'm... So, sorry, just to finish off on this uh, spring game. Isan Diaz started the game. You mentioned Isan. Uh, it's a big spring for him, perhaps. Uh, the other, I guess, news and nuggets are, listen, um, Soler has, has signed the deal. Uh, 40 man's full. So, you know, we haven't we haven't seen what move happens there. Could Isan be DFA'd? I'm, I'm not sure. I still think they need a little bit of depth there to cover third base and maybe a bit of infield. But either way, Isan... Three at-bats, two Ks, not a great start for him uh, on the day itself. Roman Quinn started in center field. Uh, I actually think Roman Quinn will actually make the roster, the 40-man, not the maybe the 26, but uh, he, I, I have a sense he will. JJ Blade then also came in and spent some time at center field, mate. So already I had the eye emojis going everywhere at center field. It is, it is really intriguing. Time for Quinn, time for Blade. Um, you know, JJ Blade couple of at-bats. He also had an, R- an RBI actually on the day, but spending time at centre field could be interesting, right? Absolutely. So I think we spoke before about how he played 
some time in centre field in in AAA or AA last year, and you know, so obviously the team team wanted to see him there. You know, they wouldn't have played him there for no reason. They wanted to see what the club works like, and they're going to try him again in spring training. So it's going to be interesting to see. I've actually finally got myself onto the MILB TV. So try and say that three times quickly. So I'm actually going to go back and try and watch some of the games where Bladé was in centre field last year, just to get some eyeballs on it. Because mm-hmm. um, at the moment we are still only on radio only. Um, but I think it's yeah, it's going to be really interesting if he can play a competent centre field. I think that's going to that's going to fast forward his his progression into into the major leagues because I think you know the bat's there I think the bat's ready I think he's it's a situation where he needs to be knocking down that door and if he can if he can play centre field he's knocking down a smaller door than the corner outfield positions so that's absolutely a great way for him to get onto the roster really is I mean this is the really intriguing part about this whole centre field situation I think this goes back to what Kim talked about over the weekend where you know, this kind of mortgaging the future on going to quite effectively, you know, are you going to give four of the top five prospects to go and get Reynolds? Maybe, maybe not. Reynolds is a proven dude and has got four years of control. That's what we know. Those guys are very expensive. Equally, you've got six, seven years of control of JJ Bladé knocking around. He's almost ready. Um, okay, we don't know, but the reality is... <sighs> You know, he's close. It's almost like you'd want to test him a little bit first and see. So, I don't know. Where do you see that one playing out? One one thing I want to factor in is, could this all be a ploy? Could this all be a ploy from the Marlins and from Kimang to say, we don't need a centre fielder anymore? So that's that, the problem, isn't it? To get that price t- tagged down, force the Pirates' hand. If the Pirates really need to trade him or want to trade him and get some value for them, Marlins can force their hand by saying, look, we're not so desperate now. Maybe we come back with a lesser offer in June and get them to bite on something else now. Because I don't think having uh, Reynolds on the team as well as Solaire is, is a financial burden. I think the team, have, if the team are being truthful by saying we've got the money and we're willing to spend, this might have been a way for them to be able to try and get that price tag down. Take that, I think there'll be one player that's a sticking point. We don't want to trade that guy in a package for Reynolds, try and get that guy off of that price tag and, and, and get a deal done. I've not ruled it out completely. Maybe I'm being too optimistic, but... It's it's a really, really interesting point. And this was always the problem I felt for the Marlins this year. The, the hole was so obvious and everyone knows about this hole. And so with that, teams are just sitting there waiting for the overpay, right? You're just sitting there negotiating from that position of strength, really. And... The Mar- like things have changed now because the Marlins have, have gone and signed Soler. Like you said, Bladé's knocking the you know, he's he's hitting. He's also taking time at centre field. All of a sudden the Marlins are maybe going, Hey, actually, you know, maybe our need is as reduced. Actually, maybe we won't. We won't pull the trigger. But the reality is the, the the pirates don't need to pull the trigger now anyway on Reynolds. Like he's still the value is is still there, even if he plays the whole year for them. Like it's probably a similar value. Uh, the back end of next, perhaps. But it's a really interesting point. I think the Marlins are trying to protect themselves from an overpay, clearly. The thing is, the the problem we've got is their prospects, the Marlins' prospects, are so good at the top end. And it's just so hard to part with these these guys. Like, it it really is. Um, The farm is top five. And so it's really hard to move three, four of those top end guys for one Reynolds. 
Does that push you over the top? I'm not convinced it does for the Marlins. I think they could piece it together differently um, and, and, and see how things go. It, it's really tricky. And maybe, like you said, they get into the year and just see how things are going. Because the reality is, as well, the NL East is absolutely stacked too. Even what we say that every year, but it feels like it's even more stacked this year than it has been. You know, if the Marlins start slow and all of a sudden they're eight games, you know, behind the division leader after the first month or something, you're like, well, okay, well, listen, let's just work our development and see how things go. Who knows? So maybe there's a bit of that feeds into it. Maybe they'll revisit the Loriano piece. I don't know. There's tons. The, the reality is there's so many moving parts here. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm still... Uh, gut feel is they're still going to do something at center field. But yeah, wait and see. Wait and see. All right, so we're going to talk about the second game of spring shortly, and we're also going to round up on the Monte Harrison news, just speaking about um, you know, roster moves. Also, the, the Monte Harrison news dropped uh, about three hours after I pumped him up, saying it was a big, big opportunity for him in spring. So uh, there we go. Um, guys, it's time to tell you about our guys over at Built Bar. And I have, I've asked this question multiple times. Have you tried those puffs? Have you tried them? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs, they're the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. Fluffy, marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Yummy, cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. So, so good. These are going to be your new favorite. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Yep, puffs included. 100% real chocolate. If you're liking what you're hearing, get yourselves over to built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's built.com with locked 15, 15% off your order. Okay, Sean, second game out the gate. And listen, the Marlins lineup was, the, the thing that caught my eye was A, it was Pablo Day. Um, and the funny thing, I'll, I'll, actually, we'll talk about Pablo in a sec. Pablo Day plus the lineup. When I looked at the lineup, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is a, a stacked up lineup here for the Marlins. Like it was looking, you know, kind of opening day style you know, a couple of guys mixed and matched in. But, you know, Miggy Rowe in there, Wendell, Cooper Loop, Avi, Aggie, B.A., Jesus, like, it was it was a big old lineup for sure. Center field starter, Jesus Sanchez, eyeballs emoji. Um, you also had Bladé starting in left. Uh, so, stack lineup, and there was bombs away first at bat for Avi Garcia, and it went 450 feet, an absolute, just a rocket from Avi Garcia. Just, have we, have we slightly underappreciated how potentially good Avi Garcia is? Because what I'm getting from Brew Crew Twitter... Um, feeding into me is you've got a real good one there. And I, I just don't think we quite realise yet maybe how good Avi Garcia could be for these Marlins. I think he could really open a lot of eyes. I mean, I, I was listening to the game because that was my only avenue. and But immediately on Twitter, there were the, the clips and the videos of the home run. And it was just it was just a mammoth hit. I think he is going to be one of those players that as, as a Marlins fan, we're going to really enjoy looking at. And as you said, with the lineup. The lineup just looks so much better than we've seen for, well, I don't know, pre-breakdown last time. You know, that sense of, you know, every every hitter that I see in the lineup is a guy that I can root for. And I know that's not going to hit 150 or 180. You know, this there are genuine major league bats up and down this lineup. And I think... I think some of the, the aggro that I'm seeing from other fans about how oh, the team's no good and it's not going to compete, I think there's a team that can compete there. I really do think we've got to factor in 
how short we were last year with injuries and with with pitching depth because we were just so hurt we're going into this year with with a starting rotation that rivals any other and we've got a, a major league batting lineup which i don't think we could quite say last year now a lot of things matter health and and you know getting production from these players but if we rolled into into the new into the new season with this lineup and with this rotation i'd be pretty happy you know i'd like to see an extra bullpen piece or two but there we go we can't have everything i guess yeah i guess so i think they will still address bullpen they bruce sherman called it out uh, there is still a move to be made there, but clearly the dominoes have all fallen, like the free agent dominoes have, have pretty much fallen. I've always felt the Kimbrel move kind of made sense. I, I feel like the White Sox, you'll want to do that. Um, but you, you're right. Just talking about the lineup, I think this is the key bit is it's hard to remember sometimes. We've probably blocked it out of our minds because 2021 at times it was bloody it was bloody dark. It really was. I mean, there were some rough old lineups, some rough old stretches of play, but you know, there were so many guys hurt at the same time. There really was, and you you look up and down this lineup, and you go, okay, everyone's healthy. Actually, this is the thing. It's only it's only I think Jose Devers that we haven't seen uh, from the forty man thus far. Maybe one or two others, but like it's pretty much everyone's here in camp. Everyone's rocking and rolling. Everyone's actually hitting the ground running. We've obviously had you know two big offensive displays back to back days, which is great. Um, you know, Coop's there hitting bombs. Avi Garcia obviously hitting the ground running. Uh, but the other one, too, that caught my eye, Brian Anderson, another three-run bomb as well in that game. B.A., if we get B.A. back, that, again, let's rewind back to 2020 and beyond when B.A., the hype train was so great that the, the defense is sensational, way above average defense at third base. And the, the, the bat can be, it has been. You know, listen, it's not a 30-home-run power dude, but, you know, that that's not what we need. But... Getting B.A. back to being B.A., I think, would be a massive thing for this team. And a D.H., a full year out of a D.H. coupe, massive for the Marlins. Just those two combined would be just ginormous for this lineup. And that's the, this is the thing. Can you keep the guys healthy? Can you get lucky with injuries? Because last year, it was really just the bunches of injuries all at the same time in the rotation and in the lineup. And it just sunk the team and meant they had to sell. And that was the problem uh, overall. So... Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited by the lineup actually. You know, and you've got to, we can add Solaire into that too. Uh, you know, it's it, it, I guess the other interesting name that popped too. Um, Heran Canacion dropped in for a for a pinch hit, hit an absolute rocket as well. A name we haven't spoken about much though uh, in Canacion the past couple of years. He he you know had a I think he missed a full year uh, in 2020. Uh, I, I think anyway, may, maybe maybe. I'm not sure if he was kind of knocking around the, the, the development camp or whatever, but it felt like it's just been a, a really kind of slow couple of years for Encarnacion. But he's he's on the 40-man. Um, I think he's probably got one option year left. So it's kind of like getting a bit touch and go for Encarnacion now. Like it's kind of this year is his last year of, of development maybe. So where do you sit on him? Do you see maybe there's an opportunity? I guess Soler kind of closes that opportunity a little bit for him. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. He's He's another, you know low contact very high power yeah. kind of guy he his biggest issue for me as far as finding playing time on on the marlins roster is he's another dh yeah you know realistically exactly. you know they've tried him here there and everywhere as far as defensive to try and eke out any value um see if he can be competent anywhere but realistically he's, he's a dh only kind of guy now could his bat 
perform so well that he deserves to be the DH. You know, I think realistically, if he gets 300 up bats on the, on the Marlins team, either he's absolutely blown the doors off the team or the team have just so badly injured and realistically <clears throat> we're not looking at a season where we're going to be winning. I think, you know, he's just, he's one of those fringe players. The mm-hmm. power is immense. Yeah. There's just not much else in, in the tool shed. No, there isn't. There isn't. I'm really intrigued to see. I mean, like I said, Soler has been signed, you know, you, you construct your 40 man as you do. You're not going to just going to keep layering on the same types of dudes. It wouldn't shock me if uh, Encarnacion is, is moved as part of that. It could be the corresponding move. Like it, it truly could because there's so many outfielders knocking around. We've already got a, a log jam of DHs. Just got to be so careful. So I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a trade partner to be had there. He does have one minor league option, I'm pretty sure. So I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything speculated around it, but I'm just kind of piecing it together and thinking... You can't basically you're hitting the upgrade button over in Canacion and going actually we're just going to take Soler. I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see on that. Let's just briefly touch on a guy that was DFA'd uh, at the start of the weekend. The Marlins did make a move. They went and uh, claimed a guy on waivers from from the Phillies. So maybe the bullpen is complete. But uh, the corresponding move that was was Monte Harrison was DFA'd. He still had an option as well, I believe. So it wasn't like a, an essential DFA. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, but. I felt like he did have one option, but I think really his time had run out with the Marlins. We saw that in 21. Um, the shockometer, Sean, 10 being absolutely shocked and one being not at all. Uh, where does this one land for you, Amante Harrison? It's it's as high as a three. I thought that maybe with the the Marte being gone, you know, mm. these, the horses bolted through the gate. That's not that's not going to be a situation you need to worry about. I thought that maybe he'd get a shot, you know. Obviously, whatever happened between him and Marte was was enough to keep him in the minors. Maybe when he didn't deserve it last year, maybe the team were hoping to bring back Marte. Well, they were hoping to bring back Marte. Yeah. So he, he I thought he might get a shot, but obviously he's been DFA'd now. So realistically, he's going to be well. He'll either be claimed or they'll try and work out a trade for him. I mean, ultimately, he could pass waivers and be sent down to AAA or into the minors anyway. Who knows? But yeah, it's a free. I thought he might get a shot. I thought they might at least give him some time in spring training, you know, to, to see what they've got before making any significant move with him. But that's by the by now it's been done. Um, it's just, yeah, we're, a couple of days time, we'll know whether or not he's with the team anymore or not. Um, but I think maybe this has been used to force the issue of, look, we want to trade him. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought the same. I, I'm with you on that one. I just think... Uh... Someone will have a need, and and will will take a take a punt on on a Monte Harrison because it became personal or disciplinarian. Let's say it was that was the problem in in twenty one because clearly the playing time opportunity was there in twenty one when when Marte was moved on and you know they went into full sell mode. It was the time for Monte, and actually, if I recall, I remember he really changed his swing in the right at the back end of the AAA year, and he was very. Still, his bottom half, I remember, was... Re- and listen, I'm not a, um, you know, a mechanics guy, as we know. I'm a hype guy. But you know, even I could see that Monte Harrison and his approach was visibly different. He was really uh, still and controlled on his bottom half. And he was just... I mean, he was, on, he was on a tear. He was on a tear, for sure, in AAA. There was also things of him climbing the wall, like Spider-Man making grabs. Like, the, the tools are absolutely there. So, 
I'm, I'm with you. I think more like this is something to accelerate as part of into a trade of some sort. I do think they will make a trade on Monte. I think they'll they'll get some sort of piece back um, because, yeah, there's it's the type of tools that the teams like, you know, and plus he's cheap and, you know, got an option. I keep saying that he's got an option. I haven't actually looked that up. I think he does. But anyway, um, Monte uh, right now, DFA'd, he's in that kind of... Um, you know, waiver limbo, let's say. So we'll wait and see on that one. I do wish him well. If, he, if this is the end for him with the Marlins, I do wish him well. He was a media favorite for sure. I know Craig Mish has called that out too. Other guys, he was absolutely exceptional in the in the Zoom room for sure. And he was a big part of the 2020 Marlins. Like he was, you know, in his own way, he was a lot of pinch running, a lot of defensive field, you know, fielding replacements. But, you know, he's a big personality, a big part of that 2020 run. So we'll always enjoy that. Um, just want to finish up, uh, Sean, because uh, we're going over on time as normal. Um, but I want to talk to you about Pablo as well, mate. Um, Pablito got the start on Saturday, so game two. Um, just you know, the two ends of Pablo. But listen, the one thing that caught me off guard was that... Uh, and maybe this is... In my, I feel like Pablo was needing to work himself back up and, you know, whatever. But I mean, you forget he actually started the last game of the season in 2021. So actually, Pablo's full go. Like, it isn't... You know, it isn't just, oh, I'm building myself up and then maybe, you know, I'm not ready for opening day. Pablo's going to be full go for opening day. The number two guy will be there and available. But um, just summary on Pablo, just getting his two innings out of the way. Clean work again. Yeah, I mean, just the two innings, but the four strikeouts. So mm-hmm. he'd gone 36 pitches. You know, they probably didn't want to force him into another, in another, another inning and up to 50, probably a bit too far for the first start. But yeah, as you said, he started... A game to end the season last year and I remember talking to you about it and being concerned like why are we ramping him up why are we forcing the issue yeah and then we saw him pitch and and he got through it okay um so in the end I was rather glad because we'd seen him you know we, yeah. we knew that he could come back and we didn't have to worry all off season is Pablo going to be okay is he going to mm-hmm. be healthy is he going to be ready we knew he'd be ready um so yeah really happy to see him on the mound uh you know he is you know, an ace-worthy number two. Absolutely. I saw some clips, uh, some of the Ks and, and whatever. And listen, there's some serious movement on some of his pitches. I'm, I'm not sure if they were fast. I think it was fastballs. He said he was working quite heavily with his fastball yesterday. And this is the problem now. There's no Zoom room anymore after the game. So it's it's harder to kind of hear the quotes from the guys like like we used to. But um, nevertheless, it was he looked he looked ready, to be honest. I mean, he, he, he needs to build himself up. But like you rightly said, when we were, to, when we were together face-to-face um, uh, for the final game of the year, and you know, we had a few beers, but uh, part of us maybe were looking at that slightly skeptically as well about, is this a signal to other teams? Pablo is, is, is back anyway. And it was kind of going into the off-season. Could Pablo, could he be moved if they were going to try and get that piece? And I, I think realistically, or if you look back in Marlon's Twitter the last four months or whatever, Pablo's name early on was floated around a lot where you were thinking, if you want to go and get a stud and they need an arm, Pablo's name kept kind of coming up. Um, but like you said, he's he, he's he's ace-like. And he's, you know, but in this team, you know, we've, we've at least got one, if not two. Trevor's been pitching as well against AAA opposition uh, recently because there was no actual spring game. So they're just kind of keeping their, uh, the days in, in line, keeping Trevor working. But, Marlins look really nice on the pitching side. Great to see Pablo go. Those two innings, four Ks, it's really encouraging stuff. I don't think the lineup was overly impressive for the for the Astros um, that, that Pablo pitched against. A little bit different for Sandy. Sandy actually took on uh, a decent Nats lineup, but the Astros, I think, just sent... I don't know who they sent, to be honest with you. I didn't recognize any of the players. So, <laughs> But 
Listen, Sean, that's going to wrap us up for this one. What a stunning weekend of action. The Marlins made a move. They signed, they signed, a, they signed someone. And they had to. They've pulled the trigger. Two wins in the books. Monte Harrison DFA'd. Probably a few other news nuggets. Someone claimed on waivers, which I don't know who it was. Um, but in summary, mate, you know, great weekend, right? Oh, great weekend. And and the best thing is the games are just going to keep coming thick and fast. Uh, hopefully we'll get some some video on that soon. Than, I mean, I love the audio. I'm an audio fan, but mm-hmm. it is always nice to see the, the video as well. Um, but yeah, no, things are ramping up and it's, uh, you, you got to love springtime. You absolutely have. So, all right, that is going to wrap us up for today. The Marlins are going to be going later on today and it is the Marlins against the Mets. Max Scherzer will be going for the Mets or is scheduled to and Eliezer Hernandez going for the Marlins. So looking forward to that one. Uh, and then Jesus Lozado will be going uh, tomorrow uh, against the, the Cardinals. So the Marlins are getting their stud guys lined up. Uh, I need to dig into... You know, whilst a lot of we talked a lot of positive stuff um, today, rightly so, there's two wins in the books, and you know they've signed someone. I'm a little bit concerned about some, you know, one or two of the pitchers who kind of got blown up. Dan the Mancastano and Jordan Holloway, I guess, had a little bit of a sluggish start in there. Um, they didn't start, but you know they're effectively you know a starter's workload, let's say, of two three innings. Neither of them looked particularly great according to the box scores anyway. But nevertheless, that's a conversation for another day. We will not end it on a downer. Um, I'm really intrigued to see both Eliezer and Jesus Lazardo, to be honest with you. Really, really intrigued. A lot of buzz around Lazardo. There really has there's been a lot of buzz pre-spring camp, now into spring too. Craig Mish is also reporting around Lazardo, how uh, the Marlins are really high on him now. So and it's a really intriguing story there about Lazardo, and it truly will look amazing if Lozado comes out and has a Trevor Rogers-like season, you know, after that kind of sluggish uh, 21, if he comes out and absolutely blitzes it in 22, would be sensational. But conversation for another day. That is myself, Sean Barrett, out of here for Locked On Marlins on Monday. And we are back tomorrow, Tuesday, daily Marlins podcast. Do not forget to subscribe. Coming at you thick and fast. Until then, see you tomorrow.